This is D2C Journey. We talk to innovative e-commerce leaders driving the growth of exceptional D2C brands. We dive deep into their stories to bring you powerful perspectives and actionable insights so you can build a more successful e-commerce business. Keep up with us at d2cjourney.com. Let's get started. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Dacia Lutova, and my guest this week is Colin McIntosh, founder and CEO at Sheets and Giggles. Sheets and Giggles is a Denver-based sustainable brand bringing absurdly soft eucalyptus bedding direct to customers. They were featured on Good Morning America early this year and were awarded Best Overall Sheets by Good Housekeeping in March 2021. Colin describes himself as the despotic ruler of the world's sheetiest company. <laughs> Colin, thank you for being on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me and thanks for the warm intro. Awesome. Uh, first question, how would you describe where you are on your D2C journey right now? In terms of current cross-section of the journey, I think we're at the point where, so we we're entering year five of the company existing, year four of sales. And, um, you know, we didn't start shipping anything until a year after we actually founded the company. And I would say that we're at the point where we are scaling, running into major growth problems, uh, growth needs, and trying to do all that without burning too much capital along the way and building a, a profitable company that's you know a much larger company than anything I had, I had ever anticipated. Wow, that sounds like a pretty exciting place to be. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about your background and uh, how you got there. Uh, you're pretty open about starting your career by being fired from three jobs, <laughs> <laughs> including one at the investment firm Bridgewater Associates. How did those early experiences lead you to pursue entrepreneurship? Um, I think that you can only get fired so many times before you kind of just say, you know, screw it, I'll do it myself. Um, <laughs> and I think it's funny, I think entrepreneurs are make really bad employees. And I was I was a really, really bad employee. I, I questioned almost every directive I was ever given at every job I ever had. Um, the first question was usually why and then the if their why answer wasn't satisfactory, then I would you know, usually say, well, I don't think we should do that. <laughs> and, 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 you know, generally you need good foot soldiers at, at companies um, in some ways. And, you know, obviously if, if something's a bad decision, I, I love my team because I can tell my team, hey, this is who I am. And so I'm probably hiring people like myself. So, you know, be aware about that about yourself. And if you're pushing back unnecessarily and or just know that I'm always going to listen to you when you do push back because I know how it feels to not be listened to. Um, so I think that like that was that was a there were there were multiple trigger points on my entrepreneurial decision making path where I you know said okay I got fired from my first job okay I've been fired from my second job okay been, <laughs> is this a pattern uh, is it me <laughs> yeah and then yeah exactly doing introspection about like I, what's wrong with me and I, I think a lot of that like is tied up in this I, I think I don't think it's uniquely American I I think it's uh, shared in several cultures but like a very American feeling of like having your personal self-worth tied to your professional worth and um, feeling like a failure, feeling like, you know, all my friends had been succeeding in their, their banking jobs or whatever it was that they were doing um, in their early twenties. And here I was, you know, on my fourth company in four years. Um, and then really it was that last company where I worked at for two and a half years 
where I learned a ton about uh, consumer electronics and physical retail, go to market strategy, logistics, um, you know, supply chain manufacturing, where I, where I was really running a, the whole business on the biz dev side, bleeding into product roadmap and product development. And we all got laid off at 1 p.m. on a Monday. Um, so it wasn't just me this time. It was the whole company. <laughs> and um, that's the way startups go, you know, in some in some ways. And that was but that two and a half years is very transformative for me. And it helped me realize that I can do this. I can build the company myself. And this time I'm going to be CEO. So that way things don't go awry. And so that was that was kind of the final decision point for me. It's a little 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 hubris. Yeah. You always know why everything's happening when you're the CEO. Well, you fail, you fail or you succeed and, and there's really no one else to, to pin anything on. So that's what I liked about it. I really liked the idea of like this next stop on my career is going to either be successful or not based on really 90% me. And then as time goes on, you know, the success and failure points become bigger and more complex and become about much more than just you. But early going, it really is the founder who, you know, brings something to life. Mm. And what led you to start Sheets and Giggles specifically? What led you to betting? Uh, it's every time I tell this story, it makes me think about how insane I am, and that <laughs> it's a good thing. I, it's a good thing I go to therapy. Um, <laughs> but I, basically, I uh, I was watching. Uh, <laughs> this is such a bad founder story. Every every other founder is like, <laughs> I have a very personal problem that I found a very personal solution for. And I'm like, I was watching a movie, which is a true story. I was I was watching War Dogs with Miles Teller and Jonah Hill. And I got so uh, frustrated with Miles Teller's character because he was selling sheets out of the back of this pickup truck to retirement communities. And they kept telling him, no, we don't want it. Da, da, da. And so he had to burn all his inventory in the middle of the desert. And I remember in that scene, I got so I get I get into movies. I love movies. And I got I got so upset with this guy's character because I was like, who would buy all this inventory, do no market research, not understand his core demographic, not understand his value proposition, do no, you know, background research on pricing or what he should be charging or who should be, you know, anyway, I paused the movie. Uh, my ex-girlfriend at the time thought it was ridiculous and got kind of mad at me for pausing the movie. Uh, <laughs> and I and I spent the next two or three hours writing a business plan for a bedsheets company. And whenever I write a business plan for something, I usually buy domains. I think about what's a good name for a company. And I thought, Sheets and Giggles, that's a funny name. And I snapped my fingers. And uh, the company was kind of ideated at that point in time. And um, three and a half months later, four months later was when I got laid off from that last job. And so that was when the, the more serious version of this answer is I sat down and I said, okay, I'm going to do one of two things. I'm going to give up this startup dream. I'm going to go work at Amazon or whatever. And I'm going to not worry about my health care and my finances and all this and the stress and so on and so forth. Or I'm going to do the exact opposite and start my own company, never work for somebody else's company again. And uh, so I had to write out, I wrote Collins perfect business model, you know, massive market, highly fragmented, no market leader to chip away at largely traditionally physical retail. So I could bring it online more direct to consumer, um, a sustainable product and an industry with very few sustainable options. Um, a brand space that was very flat and boring and homogenous so I could zig where everybody else was zagging. And when I looked at all that criteria uh, and I looked at all the different business ideas that I had, Sheets and Giggles was just so, so, so clearly the winner. And that was, you know, I, how I went after it. And then from there, the product and the company took shape. Did you ever get to finish the movie? 
<laughs> you know what? I think I did, but I think at that point I I was <laughs> kind of uninterested in the rest of the movie. It was like a six. It's like a, if, if Jonah Hill ever hears the story, it was like a, it was like a six out of ten. You know, like it was fine. <laughs> it's a good movie. Uh, I love that. You're right. You know, not every founder story has to have some you know dramatic, heartfelt thing. But <laughs> the fact is that you saw a problem, be it even in a fictional universe. And you applied yourself to solve it. And I think that's pretty much the core of all founder stories. It's a little, it's a little crazy. I think that like the thing that I saw, I went, I've been through Techstars twice. If people know what that is, it's an accelerator for startups. And I've seen, you know, 20 companies up close. There's, you know, 10 companies per class. I've seen them up close go through all this problem solving of like, we don't have product market fit or the pricing is too high. People are rejecting it or our margins are too low or we picked the wrong channel to go to market in um, our supply chain blew up. Like I've seen so many different unique problems um, over the years because of all the, the startup programs I've gone to and I've mentored now. And so when I was starting SNG, I was really focused on like building a business model that um, minimized as many of those problems as possible. So it was really, really weird uh, founder story. My last couple companies before this, you know, I was trying to end sexual assault and violence with wearable technology at the company immediately prior to this. We were trying to end animal euthanasia with software at the company prior to that. And I've always had such a, a bleeding heart with my startup missions that it felt really good to just have a company that was literally based off of a an idiom that meant for no reason, just for fun, just because, right? Just for sheets and giggles. And um, it felt so me and so Seinfeldy and just out of nowhere. And then the fact that I could wrap the sustainability mission around it and make it something that I could also be very proud of and have impactful work with this really crazy company was, uh, it was just such a bullseye for me. Well, yeah, it's definitely, um, I think we'll get to this a little bit later, but Bed sheets, it's everybody has them, everybody needs them. It's not something you have to talk people into buying necessarily. That was a huge part of it. I can't tell you, my last company, again, there was, listen to this, it was wearable technology mm. to fight sexual assault and violence. Just a light and breezy topic, like. Right, light, <laughs> light and breezy topic. Mm. And the product itself is so esoteric in so many ways in the sense of like, you have to describe it as like a Fitbit meets life alert, right? Or like a, like a, like a, like a modern life alert. Uh-huh. But, you know, the product market fit was not great because young people have a hard time proactively thinking about their safety and investing in it. It's just kind of a psychological barrier. Mm-hmm. And so you're exactly right that like I looked at I looked at that, you know, that product market fit. And I and I thought, man, I've spent so much time over the last few years explaining to people so <laughs> just these long, oh, it does this and it does this and this is how you use it. And here's the onboarding and here's the user experience. And so for me to just have a product where it says they are bed sheets, they are made from eucalyptus trees, they are softer, they're more breathable. People are like, oh, I, I can literally just stop it. They're bed sheets. And people are like, I get it. Yeah. Like they just immediate. <laughs> and, and there's not there's nothing I have to explain. I love it. It's the best best company. There's no no onboarding journey to bed sheets. There's no onboarding. Although we do. Except we, maybe when you're like a toddler. <laughs> we, we do. We do. Ha- we do have a lower left corner tag on our fitted sheet. It's kind of like onboarding. I saw that. That is genius. I'm like, why does not everybody in the world do this? 
<laughs> you know what? I have to remember. I have to remember this idea later. A mental note. Remind me. I have to tell my copywriter that we should do a web page, a fake onboarding web page. I think that would be hilarious. <laughs> yes, training. Sheets and giggles onboarding. Like a little, like a Skillshare. Yes. Like t- style training. Absolutely. That would be yes. great. <laughs> yes. And, yes. Okay. Great. I love it. I'm so excited to do this. It's a great idea. Oh, brilliant. Oh man. So speaking of your team, um, you're now a team of eleven. How's your team structured now, and how did you guys find that structure? A modern e-commerce company, I think, should be built for around a million dollars or more per head in revenue, um, which is what we're doing. It sounds daunting to set it up that way, but of course, we have a bunch of great contractor partners, agency partners. You know, we've got uh, on any given day, I would say forty or fifty people who touch the company in some regard. So it's a much larger company than just the full-time employees. Um, we try to hire around things that are unique advantages for us. So I have a heavy bias towards creatives and creativity. So we've got in-house designers, copywriters, people who can do things that other companies can't maybe in terms of like making a more visually striking company. We have an in-house product team to make sure the products are exceptional. You know, we we in-house our customer service as well, which is really important to me because I think a lot of people outsource their customer service and really the CS is the only one-to-one interaction that you ever have with your customer on like a human level. And so I, I always get really frustrated when I have bad customer experiences because I ask myself, what's the one reason I wouldn't buy again from a company and it's bad product or bad customer service. They, to buy again from a company, I need good product, good customer service. And if the, you know, marketing will get you the first sale every time, but the second sale, third sale, fifth sale is really about how the quality of your products and then the quality of your one-to-one human interaction with those people. Absolutely. And uh, since you mentioned your creative team being in-house, we can maybe talk a little bit about your branding. Yeah. So even though, as we said, bed sheets are a pretty basic household item, <laughs> you know, everyone knows sheets, knows that they're not necessarily something you have to think too hard about, but you guys have really found a way to inject that life and personality into your brand with that quirky tone of voice. So what made you decide to make Sheets and Giggles like a funny, punny, cheeky brand? Um, I, I'd say like everything I do is equal parts strategy and equal parts intuition. It's a holistic match, right? If the strategy that I think of matches with my kind of innate ability or something that I know that I'm good at or my team is good at, then it feels really good, smart, right? To, to go forward with the strategy that that also is something that I can intuitively do. And so for me, the strategy for the company was we need to be the most visually striking, differentiated brand in a big, boring space. And I thought about other companies besides Sheets and Giggles. I thought about I own sunglasseshalffull.com uh, <laughs> for a sunglasses company. I own the romanhemper.com for a hemp uh, business. Uh, I have a lot of pun based <laughs> domains. Um, oh, and so, and so, yeah, if anyone wants to buy these off me, let me know, by the way, I'm, I, need, I need to sell these. You got to hold on to the Roman Emperor. Come on. <laughs> Roman Emperor is pretty good. I actually, and I also have, I also have, uh, the Roman empire, which I really like. <laughs> There's so much potential. You can't just let that go. <laughs> yeah. My nephew's name is Roman. So that's what I also mean by like the strategy and the sin and then the synergy of like, 
you know, okay, there's like a little personal thing there that also plays in well. So for me with Sheets and Giggles, I the strategy was we're going to be like a, in a huge boring space and we're going to be the most visually and copy wise different company that anyone's ever seen. They're going to read copy from us that they're going to that they're going to think could have been written by, you know, uh, showrunners for their favorite comedy for part like like I, I I really look up the comedians and writers like Mike Schur or Adam McKay, um, you know, people who are just incredibly clever um, and and sharp with their writing. And one of my theories is that comedy is a evolutionary thing that humans have evolved the same way that we have for singing and other forms of rhythm. And I think that comedy has a a cadence, a tone, an inflection, a crescendo, and and there are people who get it, and there are people who just don't. And people can go to school for it, just like I could go to school for singing. But after four years of intensive, you know, schooling, I could still get on stage and people would say, Yeah, he's singing. Technically. <laughs> you know, like, but he's but he's not really very talented. And I and, and I think that that's similar to comedy, where, you know, for me, I just know that like when I'm writing comedically or I'm speaking comedically or I'm pitching comedically, um, I'm so much better than when I'm playing the straight man. Mm-hmm. And um, and so S and G a brand voice is really a reflection of a founder's voice in the early going, especially in the early going. And then the people you hire tend to be similar to yourself in a number of different ways. And so I knew that comedy would have to be at the core of my company. And when I looked at the bedsheets industry, it bored me to tears. I mean, it's, 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 it's white sheets, it's white walls. It's, it's always a French press coffee on the edge of the bed, which is a very precarious place for a French press coffee. And, you know, it's all these models with like perfectly manicured makeup and nails and like all this stuff. And it was like, it was so boring. And it was all, and it was of course all heterosexual couples, you know, which I'm, you know, that's, that appeals to me, but like probably doesn't appeal to everyone. It was all, you know, this like very homogenous looking model. And so I was very excited to like kind of um, branch out, no pun intended, in, in every facet of the company, the brand voice, the product, making it from eucalyptus instead of cotton, um, the, the, the copy, the logo, the logo's hand-drawn calligraphy, um, you know, not this like Helvetica font that, that every other brand in the, in every industry uses. So yeah, so it's a long, I could talk about the brand for days, but you know, we have a really in-depth brand identity map. We, we talk about the brand all the time. It evolves over time. It becomes more upbeat and positive, less pure zany comedy, um, more helpful and charitable and less, uh, maybe, fourth wall breaking or non sequiturs. And, and I, I like that. I like the evolution over time. And yeah, it really comes back to kind of putting those customers first. And you mentioned that you guys have your customer service team in-house. Mm. What tactics are you guys using to keep in touch with your customers, keep listening to them, keep serving them well? In the early days, we were super obsessive about it. We would We were, we were reachable any time of day by phone, email, Twitter, DM, Instagram, Facebook, text, chat. And I and Emily, who's my customer service lead, she and I were so neurotic about this stuff. And, you know, we would pick up the phone while we were in the warehouse packing boxes. Hey, this is Colin, CEO of Sheets and Giggles. How can I help you? Am I really speaking to the CEO? Yeah, yeah. I'm packing boxes right now in the warehouse. What can I help with? And pe- people 
blown away. And I, I would spend sometimes 20 or 30 minutes on calls with people who, once they got their stuff answered, they just wanted to know what's it like founding a company or, you know, wh- how, why are you in the warehouse packing boxes yourself? And I would tell them, oh, you know, I want to be close to the product to make sure that I understand how people experience it when they open it. I want to make sure that I can sign these packing slips and, you know, thank people for supporting the company. And some people, when they call a company, you know, and I don't mean the stereotype, but I think especially some older people, um, they're just lonely, like in some Mm -hmm. ways. And so like, I would have these like 20 or 30 minute conversations with our customers that would take a lot of time out of my day. But I always felt like I made a really a lifelong you know, connection with someone. Yeah. And I think, I think that, um, nowadays, it, you know, you reach a certain scale, we've got a hundred thousand customers and it, it, you reach a point where it's just almost impossible to continue on with that. So we, we've unfortunately taken down the phone line. I, I miss it. Um, we put it up for big sales days. So if we're on TV or if we're doing a big sale, we'll put it up and make it live. And, and the phone calls usually go to me. So that way my team doesn't get interrupted on their day. Um, we still do Facebook messages and email emails by far the fastest to get a response. We usually reply to people within an hour. I think our average response time is like 80 minutes and people are blown away by the level of customer. I mean, people have been so tormented by companies who have looked at returns as just a number on the bottom line and not as a one-to-one interaction with people that is you know, the probably the most personal you'll ever get with someone in terms of like, I mean, people tell us and I don't I don't want to keep going on about this. People tell us about like, hey, I, I lost my job, and I need to to return this right. And I and I used to be a recruiter it's a vulnerable moment. Yeah, oh, it's a vulnerable moment. And, and, and yeah. they think they think they have to say that. Because other companies they've written other companies and they've said, Hey, I'd like to return this. I, it's not the right size, and the company the company said like, "Hey, no, you're not gonna you're not gonna get a return for this." So they think they have to like be honest and and give this like really like I people told me somebody told me the other day I have a terminal illness and I and I you know they made these sheets have made me so comfortable I would love another set but I can't afford one. We send them a free you know a free set to rotate on, and like you know I don't know I don't know where I'm going with this exactly, but like. That that personal interaction with people is yeah, it's it's everything to me, and um, I think that other companies really squander that ability because they don't they don't look at it as like if you treat people well, if you treat them the way that you want to be treated, um, it comes back to you in spades. I mean, the the amount of attention we get on social media, the 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 fewer negative reviews we get, the the hap- the people go to their, their friends and family and say, hey, I didn't I didn't love these sheets, but man, they were an absolute joy to deal with, like, no risk at all, you should try them. And if you don't like them, send them back. It it comes back to you in spades. It's a perfect way to differentiate. Yeah. From all of those other brands that like you say, are just putting it as the bottom line. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. scale super well. I'll tell you, like, <laughs> like, like, it, it gets exhausting. My I give Emily and Melissa, a lot of credit for for what they've done with our customer care, where for a long time, we just did it through Gmail. We didn't have a tracking system or a ticket system. It was just very personal email. Email, we'll email you back. And now, now we've got a ticket system. Now we've got a few other pieces of technology that help us with the scale. And, and what I've decided is they're my two core people, Emily and Melissa. We have we have supplemental people all part-time who do nights and weekends. So there's never an unanswered question at any given point in day. 
But Emma and Melissa, I give them as much technology as I can to scale up their interactions with people because they are so good at interacting with people and I never want to lose them. And so, and it's also about investing in your customer service people. I, I guarantee their salaries are probably two to four times higher than the average customer care salary. Um, in fact, I know it because you can see it online. Um, but that's because I'm investing in them to be here for, I mean, Emily's been here for three years. I mean, I don't know many customer care people at many other companies that, that don't get burnt out or flip around or switch around. We, we're moving them to a four-day work week. So that way they have extra ability to um, get less burnt out on these interactions with people. And it's 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 been great to have that consistency. Very cool. As you mentioned, kind of scaling up that customer service is very much part of growing pains. Yeah. Are there other kind of areas that you guys are um, finding challenging as you grow? Yeah. I mean, the, the main one is is capital requirement, right? If you go from doing $50,000 a month, which sounds like a lot, to $100,000 a month, to $500,000 a month in a two-year period, for us, it was going from 20000 a month to a million a month in a two-year period. Extreme. <laughs> it's great. Well, so think about it from a forecasting perspective and a capital requirements perspective, right? You've got, uh, you know, if you're, if just ballpark, right, say you're going to spend and this is, this is, these are not real numbers, but let's say you want to spend half your monthly revenue on your manufacturing, your cost of fulfillment, your, you know, uh, returns This is all before marketing and fixed costs and everything, but just to produce store and send out the product, maybe it's 50%. So if you go from, okay, when we, and it takes us a hundred days to sew any significant quantity of sheets and package it and get it and get it to our warehouses and, you know, sort everything out and get it ready to ship out the people. Um, and COVID, it's it's ballooned to 200 days, right? Um, so you're planning six months out for your quantity that you'll need in one month, call it April, for what you'll need in November. And you're doing that knowing that you've grown two to three X year over year every year for three straight years, that your Q4 last year was four times the Q4 of the prior year. And these are the things that people don't think about when they, when they think, you know, all they think about is, Hey, why are you out of queen green? <laughs> and we have a, we have a full-time inventory planner. We use inventory planning software. We built custom software with our engineers to like actually try to do this better. And it's still, we're still right now out of five out of our nine core colors on, on our website. And it's like, it's brutal to, to properly forecast this. And then even if you do properly forecast it, you've got to now spend the money to get your goods in your warehouse and produced and, and, and in a you know, really high quality way. We have, we, have, we have manufacturing costs that are three to four times cotton sheets and 10 times polyester sheets are manufacturing costs. So if we're going to bring in you know, tens of thousands of units, you're, you're literally talking about millions of dollars of capital that we need to just part with on the gumption that we're going to sell this inventory in the in the very near future and then turn that over and create more with it. And you know, at some level I'm describing what it, running a business, right? There are people <laughs> listening to this be, who are like, yeah, that's called running a business. Like you you forecast and you buy and you produce it. But that's the the main challenge is 
going in two years, going from $20,000 a month to a million dollars a month in goods and sales to, you know, and in being needing to do those forecasts three to six months ahead of time, properly hitting those forecasts, finding the capital to front of millions of dollars in order to do that. And then from there, you know, actually going out and hitting your sales goals, reinvesting and hiring, getting debt lines, facilities to, to finance this capital, um, doing this while being an unprofitable company while you're scaling up and burning capital. Um, these are all the things that I think people maybe don't see behind the scenes that um, become the main portion of my job, which is less fun than writing fun copy, to be honest. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, at least you can lean back on the fun copy and just release the tension with some puns. <laughs> oh, totally. I and, and my copywriter, Chris, is the man. He's He is so good. I, I hired him two years ago now. Um, I used to do all the copy myself for the first two years of the business. And he, it, it took us about six months of like butting heads on Google Docs where we, I would, I would say, no, the comma goes here. No, the parenthetical goes here. Like, and, and now, now we're really in sync and he's so good, but um, it's still a great release when I can get in there and write an email for the team or write something that's very unique to my voice. Um, and, and the other thing is, you know, we've been in, from the company, we shipped our first box three years ago this month, right? And so of those three years, of those 36 months, now 19 of them have been during COVID. Um, (laughs) uh, Yeah. And and so we've been officially more than half of the company's sales history has been during COVID, which has presented all sorts of new stressors, but especially on on the logistics and forecasting side. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like you said, part of this is just, well, that's what running a business is like, but nobody's mm-hmm. really, we, the, the, like not even the history books can help us run D2C brands in 2021 because this is, we're still in the weeds. It's crazy. It's crazy. In terms of um, the pandemic, if you knew in March 2020 what you know now, would you have, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> first of all, you know, investing in masks, but... <laughs> What would you have changed? Uh, I would have probably just put our whole, put our whole savings account in the cryptocurrency and call, <laughs> call NFTs? It a day. Question mark. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I would have bought a lot more dog based cryptocurrency. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think uh, if I had known what I'd known in, a year and a half ago, now I I probably I feel more validated in all my decisions than anything else. To be honest, I, it's which is which is a nice feeling you know we we went remote um maybe three or four days before everyone else did like it was the wednesday where i think tom hanks got coronavirus and the nba shut down and i remember thinking like all right this is pretty serious let's just go remote preemptively and my team even told me i think this is a little little reactionary colin and i said well you know we we always just come back in the office next week if there's no, um, there's no issue. And then that weekend was, that was the St. Paddy's day weekend, 2020, where everything just exploded and, and then no one went back to work on, on Monday. And so I felt validated there. We ended up donating 20% of our March, 2020 sales to COVID relief in Colorado, uh, which is where we're based. That ended up being $40,000 $40,000 in cash that we donated to our state's relief fund, wow. which uh, has come back to us in spades. You know, we, we didn't get any any retention for, for for a long time. And then 
the relief fund called us and they were like, we saw $40,000. We were going down the line. We saw Comcast, you know, $50,000, Bron- Denver Broncos, $50,000. Sheets and giggles, $40,000. Who the hell are these people? <laughs> Where's their massive office building? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, and so they called us and, and, you know, then that kind of snowballed into six months later, we were on Good Morning America in, in November, 2020. So good karma. Yeah, it's a good. I mean, like I said, good, the way you treat people, the decisions you. I I really believe that the way that companies acted in in that time frame, that Q two twenty twenty time frame, will will go on to define brands for a very long time. And um, I think we did it right. So I think that I would probably have prepared my team a little better and just told them to strap in a little bit more. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think any of us really had the emotional runway for how long it was going to be and how rocky it was going to be. No, it was wild. So speaking of strapping in, (laughs) what is next for Sheets and Giggles? Oh, we got a lot on the horizon. I'm really excited for 2022. Uh, This kind of the plan for a long time has been go out and crush the Sheets market, make some noise, piss some people off, get some attention, um, I feel like we've done that, especially if you search our, our sheets and giggles on Google and you'll see a lot of advertisements against, <laughs> against it. That was the plan. And then from there, it's, it's product expansion. And, and we're, we're asking ourselves, what is our core value proposition of our products? And, you know, we have, we have thousands of reviews, you know, 4.8 stars on our website, four and a half stars on Amazon. Um, we don't hide our one-star reviews. We we respond to them and we fix the problem, which is a pretty novel concept, I know. Um, and, uh, you know, we've now got close to 100,000 customers. And um, from there, you ask yourself, what's your core value prop? And we ask, we ask our customers, what do you like best about the sheets? And everyone always says they are cooling. I'm a hot sleeper. They keep me cool. They regulate my temperature. They, I sleep uninterrupted. I don't wake up and sweat. Um, and then the second thing they usually say is how soft in the, in the touch of the sheets, they're actually, they have a lower coefficient of friction than cotton. Um, so people love the, the hand. And then the third thing they usually say is, and, you know, the sustainability is just, I love the company and the ethos and what you guys are doing. And the fact that this is all sustainably made is, um, really incredible. And so from there, we, we can see, okay, what else can we make that is cooling, incredibly comfortable, and uh, sustainable? And so when you start asking yourself that question, certain categories become apparent to you. So in 2022, we'll be coming out with our own pillows, so people can mm-hmm. have better comfort underneath their necks and their heads. I have a herniated disc. So for me, this is very important that we get it right. Um, we're coming out with our own mattress, which we're lovingly dubbing codename Flowerbed, uh, <laughs> which will also be made from trees, uh, eucalyptus, and um, it'll be made from natural latex from tree sap. And it's going to be really lovely and sustainable. No plastic packaging. It won't be vacuum sealed and all that you know virgin plastic that all the bed in the boxes are. And then it'll, it'll be cooling as well because it'll be wrapped in the eucalyptus. And so underneath you, you won't have people don't realize when they're sweating at night underneath them, it's because their mattress is basically trapping all that heat because it's just polyurethane plastic foam underneath them. So they're, they're boiling. Um, so we're excited to have that uh, releasing in Q2 next year uh, in April. 
Uh, April's also Earth Month, and it's also April Fool's Day, so I really want an April 1st launch. Uh, and then uh, from there, we'll be releasing a little bit of apparel. Um, you know, I think that uh, mostly nighttime, we're calling it nightwear, so sleepwear. Um, it's the, some companies have activewear, we'll have sleepwear. Chillwear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, chillwear. Yeah, exactly. Inactive wear, we should call it. We should call it inactive wear. I think that, that's funny. That's how I wear all my active wear. It's fine. Yeah. Remind, <laughs> you have to remind me of the other idea I thought of earlier, too. I'll have to play it back. Those are two good ideas uh, in this podcast. The inactive wear and, and, and onboarding. The onboarding. Yes. yes all right. Onboarding thank you. sheets. <laughs> um, and so we're doing underwear, socks, pajamas, uh, lounge shirts, uh, things like that. And then uh, the last thing is bathroom. So towels. You can make all, all any home textile out of uh, trees sustainably. Um, and so we're doing um, bath, bath towels, bath mats, bath sheets, shower curtains as well. And that'll be Q4 2022. So that's the that's the gambit is that we can become a much bigger brand than just the sheets. You know, you got to add the giggles eventually. So <laughs> brilliant. Yeah, that's so exciting. That's awesome. Thanks. Yeah, that's really cool. So Here's kind of a random question. Sure. If you won the best D2C brand of all time, who would be the first person that you thanked in your acceptance speech? It would probably, I mean, there's so many people who have mentored me and helped me over the years. That's the thing is that I've gotten incredible mentorship from different companies and it, it would probably be Techstars, which is, which is the, the organization that kind of changed my career and changed my life trajectory. And as part of that, my friend Jackie, who founded the last company I was at, that, that did not work out. She was, you know, the founder of the company that was trying to end sexual assault and violence. And, um, you know, it, it didn't work out the way that we had all hoped. But the things that I learned going through Techstars as a 25-year-old, you know, it now seems like a lifetime ago, um, after having been fired from two or three jobs and you know, not really having a direction in my career and then really being able to put my nose to the grindstone and um, build something with Jackie and my and the team there and Andrea that that ended up um, becoming uh, something that we were all proud of in retrospect, despite the way that it had ended. Um, and all, all the things I learned in that company about go-to-market strategy and consumer psychology and pricing theory and uh, supply chain. It, it was it was so helpful for me on my journey. So I I think that that's that's where I'd start. That's awesome. It's never wasted if you learn from it. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> definitely. Yeah. Failure is the best teacher for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and a final question: Since we've been talking so much about journeys, what is your number one travel destination? I actually got the ability to to go somewhere this year that I've always. I, I guess I didn't really know what a gem it was, but I went to the Amalfi Coast uh, this summer and I, I had booked the plans before the Delta variant really popped up. And it was kind of that perfect timing in July when it was just, just starting to get a little hairier again. And um, I spent a few days in Amalfi on a trip that I went through and I went through San Sebastian as well on that trip. And there, there are so many incredibly beautiful beaches in the world. And I'm a, I'm a water guy, you know, I'm from South Florida, from Miami and, um, completely blown away by how beautiful the Italian coastline is and, and the Northern Spanish coastline is. And I think that there's a lot more of the world for me to see. And so now I'm seeking out some more beaches to go to. I've been to a lot of Caribbean spots, you know, being from Florida, 
and I'm really excited to, to see what the rest of the world has to offer. So I, I don't know if I have a specific destination in mind. I think Croatia is next up in terms of beaches that I'm, I'm eyeballing. Um, and uh, I would probably want to do some island hopping in Greece as well. Brilliant. Colin, you are so smart and articulate and you have such a clear vision. I appreciate that. Thank you. It's a very nice, very nice thing to say. Thank you so much for chatting with me. Thank you for being on D2C Journey. I've really enjoyed our talk and um, learning a bit more about your approach. And big thanks to all of our listeners. I'm Dacia Lutova, and I'll see you next time. Thanks, Dacia. Thanks, Dacia.